Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. This is your host, Jan Cancilla. You know the sound of my sewing machine means it's time for another episode. So let's get started. Hello, So Powerful Podcast listeners. We are continuing our series, Jesus and the Poor, with So Powerful co-founder Jason Miles. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about orphans. Today, we're going to talk about widows and how So Powerful supports widows in not only the Nambe compound, but as we expand further into Zambia. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. But Jason, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Yeah, great time. And you? Yeah, great, great time. Saw family. And every other Thanksgiving, we make a trip to St. Louis and Kansas City and see all the siblings. So we cram a lot of sibling visits in into one long weekend. So anyway, yeah, so we're back here. You know, in prior episodes, we talked about the origin of the So Powerful program way back in 2009 and the HID AIDS pandemic. How does, how does all of that connect to our topic today with widows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The community of Nomi Compound and many urban neighborhoods or urban slums in uh, challenging places like Lusaka is a community built on really mom-led households uh, and grandma-led households. And if you go and do house-to-house visits and walk, through the neighborhoods and meet the people who you're meeting is the matriarchs who have a whole group of kids and grandkids frequently in their house. And so when we started working in March, 2009, we were working with a group of, of moms, you know, eight, nine moms that had come together to try to make a difference in their school. And that's the context in which we work. The reason are many, but, you know, frequently uh, HIV, AIDS, TB, malaria has at that point had, had just devastated people physically, but also there's, you know, divorce and abandonment and challenges of desperate poverty, a lot of early marriage that ends sadly, a lot of young girls married really older guys and that ends tragically. So you're in the mix relationally of a very, very challenging context. And many people that we're working with are are widows and, and, or single, single moms and grandmas. And so that's sort of the context in which we operate. What does that look like in terms of numbers? You know, I asked Esther that question and we don't have a hard count in terms of, you know, what specific number of what does we work with, but I asked her just as percentages, what she thought in terms of the total beneficiaries that we work with through the sewing cooperative, soap cooperative, the, you know, the, the parents of the school, the uh, Tick and Donnie garden project. And her commentary was about 35% are widows. And then 35% are single moms through divorce. So that's 70% of the people we work with. And then she said, from there, another 15% are single moms, you know, due to what she would call poverty. And what that generally means is the mom will, in essence, be alone and will be technically married. But the husband might work in the copper belt somewhere far away, or, you know, works, or maybe he's in the village. And she's in the town, you know, in, in Nombe, in the slum there, and they're just separated that way. And so she said if she had to guess about 7% of who they 
work with are actually married, like, you know, have a spouse there and the rest find themselves in those circumstances of, you know, being, being on their own. Yeah. That sounds incredibly, incredibly challenging. And so what is the impact of so many, I, I mean, basically single moms, right? Whether the widow, yeah. divorce, husband away, how does that impact the known by compound in general? Yeah. It creates a circumstance in which the head of the household is tasked with so many things, but one of the things is just physical provision of food and shelter, and it's all resting on the mom's shoulders. So food is exceptionally challenging. The The rental amounts for the little homes that they'll live in uh, is incredibly challenging. And, you know, if you've got a household and most of the time, the average would be like nine to 11 people in the house. If you have a household with nine to 11, either, you know, teenage to early twenties or thirties age children, but you're the matriarch and, and then you've got babies there and you're tasked with the responsibility for all that, you know, what, what are you doing beyond that? I mean, can you have a job? Can you do anything other than just full-time trying to keep that together? That's the, the reality for them. And if you just think about that for a moment and think, what if that was your sister or your mom, then, you know, you, you really realize the depth of the challenge that they're facing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I can sort of relate to that. My niece is the mother of a three-month-old baby and she's on maternity leave. She has a job to go back to, but I mean, the, the stress and struggles she has of just trying to manage the husband, the baby, the job, yeah. and they're not worried about food and they're not yeah. worried about paying the rent and it's just everyday life. But you add all those stresses on top of it. I just, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. 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 It's the reality and it's the context in which God's called us to work. And so then the question is, what do we do, you know? Well, and so we work with donors and purse makers. And so when we volunteer for So Powerful, how does that help the women living in poverty in Zambia? Well, there's two sides of it, really. And one side is the program work in Zambia and how it's designed. And then the other part is ministry to the donors that we work with. And so I'll describe both parts. The ministry on the ground in Zambia, you know, the, the circumstance in which we find ourselves is many of those moms are not educated. So they might have education through third grade, fourth grade, and so functionally illiterate. And then they've got this whole household full of, you know, kids are responsible for. So we've really tried to design our programs so that they can work with us and integrate the opportunity to uh, have a job but also be, you know, responsible for their household. So a lot of our team members actually have their kids in the school during school time, the moms are working with us in our program. And so it kind of makes it a convenient way to say, okay, the kids are okay from, you know, from early morning till mid afternoon. And therefore they can go over and, and be a part of the soap cooperative, sewing cooperative and make a living for their family. And that's the design of the program. We also have after school programming for adult literacy that happens that they're a part of and, and uh, we're passionate about that. So we've really tried to design a program on the ground with the intention of it working for them. So that's one piece. But the other piece is how we work with people around the world. Our donors are 99% 
uh, you know, women, or purse makers at least, a little broader when you talk about just financial donors and men are included in that level more. But we have the opportunity to work in collaboration with um, with a lot of women around the world, and many of them are are widows. Uh, my mom is in that category, so she's been on the podcast and told her story. I just have a particular passion for this idea because what we've heard so often from the purse makers is that this is ministry to them. This is vision and hope and a calling for them. And, you know, in the context of Nombe Compound and the moms in Lusaka, the question is, what are they putting their hopes in? They're passionate about their faith, but they also put their hope in their children's education. When you hear their stories, the moms there will say, if my kids can just get through school, it's my hope. Uh, that's their hope for a better life is their children. And so that's, that's kind of the context in which they have hope. But I think the donors around the world that we work with and the purse makers, they also have a hope in their heart. And I think that hope in their heart is God has a purpose for them. God has a calling for them. There's a specific assignment that God has prepared for them that they could actually thrive in and do and not only just do, but do with panache, you know, do with exceptionalism. And so that's what the purse program represents, I think, for a lot of people. And it's a, it's a frequent commentary that we hear. And I think it's really a central part of what we do and who we are. You're making me cry because that's exactly how I feel. And we're in the midst, as we record this, we're in the midst of um, having a survey with our volunteers. And um, I've taken sort of a peek at some of the answers. And I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. That's how so many of us feel. And I I know uh, many of our volunteers are themselves widows. And so to be a part of this community to serve others is just so rewarding. And you just, you just feel like you're serving God's purpose. And it's wonderful. Because you are. And yeah. it's not, it, it's not a contrivance. It's not a abstraction like, oh, this sort of symbolically serving the Lord. It's literally clothing people and helping people with food and the reusable hygiene pad product is just, it is just a miracle of the integration of people's individual work at their house around the world, participating with the moms in Zambia. And literally it's all going to the girls together. And so I'm as passionate about donor involvement these days as I am about the work on the ground, because I just have realized over time, people who were in this situation, who were alone and maybe feeling like they missed it or that maybe they were felt called to Africa, but they never got there. This is an opportunity and it really is exciting. So I, I'm passionate about that. And I think we need to get better at it. I think we do okay integrating donors from around the world, but I think we can even get better at it going forward. And I'm really excited about just hearing people's commentary that they feel that and they know that we're, we're including them in the ministry in a powerful and meaningful way. You know, I think back at a podcast I recorded with Millie McCurley, and I'm giving you a shout out, Millie. And um, even this morning, she posted beautiful, beautiful purses that she has made and is sending in that will be a blessing to a girl. But You know, I asked her what she liked about being part of the program, and she said there were two parts to what she liked. She liked being able to use her creativity, but she liked the fact that she felt called by God to do this, and that was the more important part to her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just person after person 
who says that. And we may have gotten a little a little off topic here on, on supporting widows here, but um, no, it's not though, in my view, because it's I guess you could say spiritual support, psychological support, social support. You know, the widows largely in the West, it's not always financial that they need help with. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Zambia, it's it's really a financial crush of, of burden. But in the West, it's you know, the, the purpose and the calling is the way in which we help work with them. And so there you go. Yeah. Well, and I think of, again, I think of the podcast with your mom, Barbara yeah. Stroop, and it was the callings of Barbara Stroop. And she has many callings and she serves widows is one of her callings. Mm-hmm. And That's right. um, she herself is a widow. And that was a very moving podcast. And I really appreciated her being so open about that. And she was a single mom when you Mm -hmm. were growing up. And so she's had her share of challenges and yet she's turned that around to serve others. And, and it's just wonderful. Yeah. I think as I reflected on these topics in my own life and listening to her podcast, I think it's very common for boys to grow up with a single mom that they'll either resent that mom over the long haul of their life, or they'll have a growing compassion and just a, an admiration and a respect and a sense that uh, if the world was a better place, such things wouldn't happen. And you realize over time that it's the, the love of Christ in us. He's called us to such things. And to me, that's really an important part of who we are and what we do is to say, uh, we're caring for orphans. And we're caring for widows because we have a passion for it, because Christ had a passion for it, you know. Well, and oftentimes widows are marginalized, they're alone. Yeah. And what happens in the West, it happens in Zambia, it sort of happens yeah. all over. What why do you think that happens? I wish I I don't know. I honestly I don't know, but I know it happens. One of the most tragic widow related stories. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before or looked into it, but there was a long practice in India of uh, widow burning where, have you heard of this before, Jen? Is this, have you I, I don't think so. So from basically 500 to 1800 in India, there's widow burning, which was the widow would sacrificially jump onto or join the pyre of their husband who died. And it was a common cultural practice. And William Carey was a Baptist missionary who went in early 1820 or something like that and started to count and document what was happening and advocate. And as it happens, he was a tent maker, which I love William Carey for, but also as it happens, he was a just wonderful person in terms of loving people. He hired many people who were local, you know, Hindu faith uh, people into his businesses and he learned the language and translated many texts and including the Bible into local language. But he began to raise the issue of this widow burning practice and documented how often it occurred. And his advocacy directly led to that being changed culturally. If you go and look at the, the history of it, it's, it's tragic because they would do it as a symbolic thing that they were willing to do it themselves. So it was sort of a rights thing, I guess, but just so sad and so tragic. And his heart was to say, you know, there's hope beyond the death of your husband. 
And so that whole story is, is very fascinating to look into, but, but the marginalization of widows does occur. You know, it was Gandhi who said, actually, as it happens a hundred years after all of that uh, work of William Carey, Gandhi said, the measure of any culture is how they treat their most vulnerable or, you know, something along that line. And I think that's, that's right. And so the orphans and the widows being addressed is central to the culture and practice and society of any people. And I think as believers, we can lead the way and say, what does God demand? And, and really have a faith practice that says we're going to do right. As we think about this topic, what scripture verses or verse comes to mind? The passage that stands out to me that is so striking, I mean, I think it's probably the most vibrant, emotional story in the whole Bible is Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus is on the cross, John chapter 19, there's this wonderful passage that is verse 25. It's right after the soldiers literally divided up his clothing. And in verse 25, it says, near the cross stood his mother his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So these group of ladies were, were gathered around. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, the evangelist, John, the apostle, who's writing this, this is his story account. He was the only disciple that was there. So this is, you know, the story of his situation. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So that's just a that's kind of a foot of the cross little story about this impending situation. Many people believe that Jesus's mother was widowed at that point because Joseph is never mentioned in the Gospels, really after the birth of Christ. So the assumption is that he had passed, but it's never stated directly. But there's this beautiful story where in sort of this dying act, Jesus is deliberate about making sure his mother is cared for. And then if you read John's books, the, John, the, the gospel of John, of course, is full of references to knowing that we're believers because of the love of Christ is in us. And then if you read 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, if you read 1 John, the whole thing is structured around whether we are demonstrating love to others as uh, uh, a reference to our love for Christ. And that's just the structure of his writing and his life. And so to me, that story, that, that story, you know, Jesus on the cross is so central. And it's just such a beautiful part of Christian tradition to care for orphans and widows. Then you go to the book of Acts, and they talk about the widows not being cared for properly and somebody raising it to the attention. And, and we should talk about this whole story at some point, but, but in that story in the book of Acts, all the disciples gather together, including John, and they talk about the care for widows. And they appoint Stephen, who is in essence tasked with this responsibility to care for widows. And that's a central part of the birth of the church. And so I, there's just there's so much rich history there and ideas related to those things. But anyway, that's the story that stands out to me the most. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. 
Jason, thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful discussion. And I look forward to talking with you next week, where we're going to talk about the Tick and Donnie Garden Program in a lot more depth. And we're going to maybe talk about some of the specific young men that are, are working the program and, and really get to personalize it and really understand what's going on there. Thanks, Jen. Wonderful time. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. If what you've heard today inspires you to want to make a difference, I urge you to explore the So Powerful website at www.sopowerful.org. That's S-E-W-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot O-R-G. The website has great information about the organization. It's where you can download the free purse patterns or even make a donation. We hope you will join us again next week when we bring you another So Powerful story. Thanks for listening. Now, go out and have a So Powerful day.